If we could uh, bring our conversations to conclusion, we can continue those when we have refreshments later on. If you have your Bible with you, could I ask you to turn to the Old Testament and the book of Proverbs? We're just going to be reading one verse from the book of Proverbs in a few moments. You may even want to turn to chapter 29. Um, just before I start preaching, though, just to unpack a little bit about uh, Friday night, Friday evening, our half night of prayer. Uh, it is a come when you can, go when you must. We'll be having a number of uh, different things we'll be doing. There'll, there'll sort of be units, I suppose. We'll spend some time in worship. We'll spend some time praying for some of our ministries. We'll be praying... Uh, spending some time praying for our nation and also for church churches outside of ourselves, for other churches. We'll be praying for a, a church plant in Madrid. Um, there'll be a whole wide range of things going on. Uh, it will sort of roughly work on every half hour. The theme will change, but it's not exactly that. So do just turn up when you can and go when you must. Um, it will be quite wide-ranging. It will keep a good pace to it. As I say, it will have times of waiting on God, enjoying what the Holy Spirit's doing amongst us, worshipping Jesus, times more of intercessory prayer, the whole wide mix of things. Uh, but a great opportunity to be together, to meet with God, uh, to spend time talking with him, because we expect to hear from him, hear from him for our church, hear from him for our nation, hear from him for our town, as well as spend time talking to him. It's a two-way conversation we're looking to have with him. It'll be a great time together. Um, Last week, we started to explore what is membership. Uh, Beginning of a seven-week series looking at the concept of membership and what it means to be uh, a part of Harvest Church. Um, I just want to say my apologies if you weren't here last week and you've looked to download last week's sermon uh, we've had a few technical issues. I think it's now up. Alex is nodding his head. It is now live on the website. Apologies for that. Uh, our website will be changing soon so that we'll actually, you'll actually be able to podcast it, which will, uh, if those of you understand these things, and I don't, I understand that will be much easier uh, to listen to. Uh, but apologies for the uh, delay in getting that up. But if you missed last week, I would encourage you, uh, each week builds week on week, and therefore try to find some time Uh, To download it is now available on our website. Download it and have a listen to it. Uh, This week, we're trying to answer a very simple question, and yet one of those questions which is quite complex to answer. The question has only got four words in it. It's this. What is our vision? What's the vision of Harvest Church? Where are we going? What What do we even mean by the word vision, you may say? Well, let me just introduce the concept of vision because I think lots of us have different ideas of what we mean by the word uh, or the definition to the word vision. When I'm talking about vision, I'm talking about the thing which is like a guiding star in our lives. The thing which, by its very nature, defines everything else I do. It defines my mission. It defines what I actually get. uh, It defines what I actually do day to day. My vision is like that guiding star which uh, uh, ships used to use to navigate by. And actually people still do use for navigation. That star where you say, that's the star I'm following. You can think of it as the, the star the wise men followed if you want to. It was, that, it was that vision. They knew they had to follow the star and they found the king. And the saviour of the world. It's that, that's the all-encompassing, that's the big picture 
vision. And that then defines how I use my resources, how I use my time, how I use my energy, what I think about, what I pray about, what I'm doing with my life. And, you know, we can have all sorts of different visions for different aspects of our lives. But as a church, I believe there is a key vision we need to have, which will define everything else. And uh, if you've turned to the book of Proverbs, you can read in Proverbs 29, verse 18, this. Many of us may have read this before. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says this, where there is no revelation The people cast off restraint. I'm just going to focus on that part of the verse. I know the verse continues. And as you may or may not be aware, the nature of Proverbs is it moves on very quickly onto other subjects. Um, But where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. You may say, that's an interesting word, Andrew. Revelation, what's that mean? Well, it means dream or vision. If you want other uh, translations of uh, that word from the Hebrew, it would uh, talk about vision or dream. Where there's no dream, where there's no big picture, where there's no compelling vision, the people cast off restraint. What's it mean by cast off restraint? It means we become indisciplined. It means we uh, go our own way. It means that we walk away from the things which are important in life. The people lose that sense of purpose. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Let's not be a people like that. You know, Jesus was a man of vision. Some people, when you talk about vision, say, oh, that sounds very business-like. Sounds very business-like. We're not business, are we? No, we're not. We're the people of God. But actually, Jesus was a man of vision. Here we can read, for example, uh, in Luke 9, 51, where Jesus, it says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knew he had to get to Jerusalem. Jesus had a vision. Why did he have to go to Jerusalem? Because he knew he was, he'd come to die for the world. He knew he, he was waiting the cross, his crucifixion. He knew he had a plan. He had other plans as well. It wasn't that, that was the only thing. That was the big, big, big picture one. But on the way, he had to train people. He had to gather a bunch of disciples. He gathered 12 people. He trained them. He equipped them. He demonstrated what the kingdom looked like to them. He got them caught up in this. That was part of his plan. But his vision, his end game plan, was he knew he had to get to the cross. He knew there was no salvation for mankind Without his crucifixion. He had a vision. He's a man with a vision. I want to ask us, what's our vision? What's our vision as a church? Where are we going? What's, what is it that captivates our hearts and our lives? What is it that's grabbed hold of us where we go, I'm giving my all for this. I want to give my all for this. I'm, yeah. What is it? Well, When it comes to defining a a vision for a church, I guess we all probably could turn to the same part of the Bible. We may well say, well, surely our vision is that vision statement which Jesus left us with in Matthew 28. The last couple of verses of Matthew 28. You don't need to turn to it. I'm just going to read it to you. But uh, uh, where Jesus said this, he said, talking to his disciples, uh, Jesus comes to them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a massive statement in itself. All authority in heaven and on earth. He is almighty God. Therefore go, 
Because I've got this authority, he's now imparting it to the disciples and he's saying, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, really explains what a disciple is. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's a key hallmark of a disciple that we've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Wow. Okay, that's quite a lot there. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Wow. Everything. There's a, lot to, <laughs> there's a lot to share. There's a lot to learn. And surely, and surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he's not saying, hey, go off and do that, and by the way, I'm just going to ignore you. No, he's saying, I am, the great I am, will be with you. He'll be with you throughout this. I'll, I'll be with you. He's, you know, elsewhere we know he says he'll send his Holy Spirit, and he sends to heaven and sends his Holy Spirit to be with us, to accompany us, to guide us, to lead us, to direct us through life. There are other ways of thinking about what our vision may well be. Uh, Luke makes a comment at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. And uh, Luke is, is, is writing, and he, he, um, he basically uses uh, uh, the, the phrase, I can't remember the exact phrase, sorry, I'm not going to look it up now. But basically, he's continuing the work of Jesus. So that's, that's what the church is for. That's, what, well, that's why he writes Acts. He's saying, hey, this, this is the story of how the early church continues the work and ministry of Jesus. That's the essence of what he's, he's in ca- capturing in the book of Acts. So how are we, as a church, continuing the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the call of Jesus over our lives? How are we going to do that? What's our vision? What's, what's the part we're going to play? What's the part Harvest Church is going to play? I'd like to suggest three components, three components to us. The first is this. It's who we are, not what we do. It's who we are, not what we do. You see, you may have experienced this in your workplace. You may have experienced it in the world. Vision, unless it's embedded deep in who we are, is just a bit of paper. Companies spend Millions of pounds coming up with the most amazing, catchy vision statements. And their employees never get it. Their customers never see it. Why? Because it's not got into people's hearts. It's not got into their hearts. It's not part of who people are. It's just something that somebody's trying to impose on someone. We're different. See, our vision is birthed in who we are. Our vision is birthed in what Jesus has first and foremost done for us. He's made us disciples. He's called us disciples. He's put his spirit in us. He's brought us into his family. He's called us sons. We've come to know a father. We're in relationship. This isn't about some organizational structure, this amazing business plan for world domination by the great God. No. This is about relationship. It's about who we are. We're disciples. We're not motivated by law or performance. We're not motivated by rewards. We're not even motivated by world domination or global branding or anything like that. No. 
We're motivated because, first and foremost, the grace of God has got hold of us. The grace of God which has changed our lives. The grace of God which enables us to understand who we are in Christ. That we're forgiven. That we're restored into a relationship with a heavenly father. That we're called sons. That's a status thing. That's not to exclude ladies. It's men and women. We're called sons. We're brought into his family as sons. Sons of God. That's why we spent so long talking about these three words over this last season. Disciples, spirit, kingdom. That's who we are. We're disciples. Above everything else, we're followers of Jesus. Loved by almighty God. Motivated by the grace of God. The love of God which has set us free. Which has freed us from sin and the shame of sin. And the, the, the forecoming uh, death and separation from uh, almighty God. Which we would call hell. We're saved from all that by the grace of God. Wow. And we're filled with the Spirit who reminds us that we're sons, who keeps us in a good place, that place of sonship, keeps us in relationship with the Father. And only when we understand those things, we understand that we're then called to advance the kingdom. And we do it out of the grace of God. We do it out because we become a grace-filled and transformed people. That's who we are. As disciples of Jesus, that's who we are. Grace-filled and transformed people. Secure and free in the love of God. And yet called, commissioned, and empowered to advance his kingdom to the ends of the earth. So when we think about who, or what our vision is, we've got to start with this. It's who we are. First and foremost, out of who we are comes what we do. What's really important to us will be reflected in how we live. What's really important to us will be reflected in how we live. And I just want us to pause for a moment and ask ourselves that question. What is really important to me? If you're not sure what the answer to that is, ask yourself the question, how do I live? You know, want to know what your vision is in your life, how you live will be a reflection of really what's important to you and therefore what your vision is for life. What vision lives deep inside of us? Maybe it's a vision for wealth. Maybe it's a vision for significance. Maybe it's a vision for a particular business or career. Maybe it's a vision for your family. You know, none of those things are wrong. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things 
will be added unto you. He's getting it in the right order. What's the all-compelling vision of our lives? Does it come out of understanding of who we are, the grace of God, the mercy of God? Does it start with the grace of God? Can I suggest to us, if not, we need to reprioritize our lives. But it's not in some sort of legalistic way, not in some sort of, well, I've just got to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, because that's about law and performance. No, get hold of the grace of God. Let it get hold of you. Let it transform your heart. Maybe there's parts where you've held back and you said, God, you're not having that bit. You can have this much, but you're not having that. That's mine. God says, surrender all. He calls us, surrender all. Surrender all to his grace and mercy. Surrender all to his plan. Because his plan's perfect. And his ways are fantastic. And he is totally trustworthy. And he loves us as a perfect father who's only got good plans for his children. So he's totally trustworthy. What's the vision for your life? What's, what compels you? What gets you up in the morning? Will we let our father put his grace so deep in our hearts that's what becomes our greatest motivation. Our greatest motivation. Out of who he's made us to be. It's who we are. Not what we do. But yet, you know, it doesn't stop with who we are. Out of who we are, we need to live out the lives we're called to do. And so the second part of our vision isn't just, it isn't just who we are, it's actually that we are called to be a local church who transform our communities, the communities around us. That's, again, it, it fits with Matthew 28, it fits with where we've been. You know, we cannot, we're not called to, Matthew 28 is not a word to individual disciples, it's to the church. It's to a group of disciples. It's to a body. And we talked about this last week. Local church is important to us because that's where we work out our vision and mission. That's where we work out the vision to see the ends of the world, one for Jesus, to to see people restored and brought into real relationship with God. We don't do it just individually. We do it corporately together. As a local church which transforms local communities, we Sometimes we can build local church which ignores everybody else around us. That's not the sort of church we want to build. We want to build a church. We want to be a church which has a profound impact on our community, whether that's through something like Kids Club. I want to encourage us, let's get involved as we look to serve the children of our town just over a four-day period in August. Whether that's through Alton Town Pastors or Food Bank or through how you work 
in your place of work or how you, uh, how you are in school or college or anywhere else. We're called to see the communities we are involved with transformed and we become, as a church, that demonstration of the grace and love of God. <laughs> that we, a ragtag bunch of people from diverse backgrounds, get on with one another. That's a powerful thing. It's a powerful statement. We're transformed. And you know, to build the local church, we also need to receive. We need to receive uh, what uh, is often called Ephesians 4 ministries into the church. Uh, You may want to turn to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament if you want to. I'm just going to read briefly from Ephesians 4. Just a, a few verses from Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. It says this. It was he, this is Christ we're talking about, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Friends, if we want to be mature, if we want to be strong as a church, we need to receive, we need to find these gifts and receive them and welcome them into our church and let them speak into our church. That's what these gifts are for. These are people gifts. That's why we're part of commission. We're part of a family of churches. You may not even know this, but we're part of a family of churches which goes by the name of commission. It's in and through commission, being part of commission, we receive these Ephesian four gifts into our church. They come and they serve us. We hope we will see much more of people like Guy and Malcolm who will serve us as a church. But not just Guy and Malcolm. They bring an apostolic gift principally. We also want to receive people with evangelistic gifts, pastor-teacher gifts. Prophetic gifts, because that, those ministries, those gifts serve a church in order to help it become mature. They're equally important to us. Those gifts are there to equip, to empower, to release us to be all that God's called us to be for this area. For Alton, for the mission that God's giving us. Friends, we believe in the local church. That's why we're doing this, this series, this preaching series. Why membership is so important to us is because we believe that we need to be part of a local church. Being part of a local body of believers is essential for the Christian life. It is part of the Christian life. It needs a deep down sense of heart commitment. It's not just about joining a club. It's not just about turning to up to a meeting. It's not even just about giving money or time or energy. It's about a deep sense of heart commitment, a sense of bonding together, of joining together. As I preached last week on the whole thing of being a body. You can't have a toe which runs off and does its own thing. It doesn't work like that. No, the body is knitted together. And we need to be that local church, knitted knitted together, because the church is the most effective mission organization on the world for impacting local communities. We build strong local church. We have others who help us to build strong local church that we will have a profound impact, a profound effect of transforming and seeing transformed local communities. 
and yet. Thirdly, it's this. We are local, yet we're called to be global. We're local, yet global. We aren't just here for Alton. Really? No. We're not even just here for Alton and Bentley, or Alton and Formarks, or Alton and wherever you happen to live. We're not even just here for Alton and North East Hampshire. Or even just the UK. You said just the UK? Hang on, there's 67 million people in the UK. That's not just. Well, it is when you remember the 7 billion people in the world. And over 240 different uh, countries and nations. And thousands of different cultures and language groups and people groups who need to know about the love of Jesus. Now, it's very easy at this point to zone out and think this is rhetoric. To think, that's got nothing to do with us. I live in Alton and I'm here for Alton. But that's not what Jesus said here. That's not what scripture talks about the church. Yes, a local church, but a local church which has an effect on the world. Now you might say, we can't be world changers, Andrew. How can we, a little church in Alton, have an effect on the world? Well, it's each and every part of us plays our part as we follow Jesus and follow his lead, it will, he will cause us to have an effect, yes, locally, but also nationally and even internationally in the grace of God. And do you know that was a word said over us as a church many years ago um, that we'd be an Antioch church, a resource church, a church which would serve other churches, a church which would have an effect far beyond its reach. He said, well, how would we do that? Well, through the people we send, first and foremost. There'll be people even in this room that we will send to other places to start other churches. There'll be people in this room who may even go to other nations of the world to start other churches, to strengthen churches, to be part of a church, to enable mission to happen elsewhere in the world. But you may say, well, that's not me, so I'm I'm in the clear on this. No, no, because all of us, secondly, have a part to play. We have a part to play in our family of churches where we are going together. You know, commission isn't over there. We are commission, along with all the other churches which make up commission. And, and we've got a part to play in our global mission. You may say, global mission, Andrew, are you mad? It doesn't mean we're going to try and reach every nation. But our mission is international. It's global. Why is it like that? Because the gospel's global. Because the kingdom of God's global. He said, well, how do we get involved? Well, we pray. This Friday, we're going to be praying for a church plant in Madrid. As part of our half night of prayer, we pray. We give. We give. We, as a church, we give within commission. But as individuals, we give. And we give away as well. We release people. We don't just give financially. We give people. We train and we equip and we release people. We provide resources. Yesterday, this building was used for a training day for uh, uh, church leaders from across this area, uh, or actually mainly trustees from across this area, uh, to help resource churches. Well, we release the space God's given us. We send. 
We're called to be global, not local. We have an absolute clear local outworking. But we expect to have a global effect as well. So if you had to try and put all that into a sentence about our vision, it could look something like this. The first phrase would be about us, who we are as a people. You could use the word an apostolic people, a people who know who they are in Christ, because that's a really important part of this. Built on good foundations, that's part of knowing who we are in Christ, and living out what we're called to do. Living out from who we are as ambassadors of Christ to advance his kingdom by his spirit. You could, call, you could add in a resource base. We're here to resource global mission, but also local mission. And we want to see hundreds of lives changed, transformed, not just changed a little, but transformed by the love of Jesus because somebody bothered to do that to help us into the kingdom. And that person may not have been particularly special. And you may not feel you're particularly special. I certainly don't feel I'm particularly special. But I know God is. And he will empower and enable each of us to be special to someone else. That we can be a messenger of the grace of God. And the love of God to someone else. So we see hundreds of lives transformed. And dozens of communities too. Locally, nationally, and even internationally. Friends, vision can be great, but I want to go back to where we started. If it doesn't burn in our heart, it's a bit of paper. It's just some words. What we've, I've just expressed should be Nothing in one sense which is a surprise because it's what scripture calls us to be and then to do. It all starts with grabbing hold of the grace of God over our lives and letting it have genuine effect. Genuine effect on my sense of who I am. And therefore, what I'm going to do. Mark didn't know I was going to finish up with this verse, but he read it as, in fact, he read both of these verses as part of uh, our time of communion this morning from Ephesians 2. I'm just going to reread two verses. Ephesians 2, verse 5, reminds us of this He made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, you, me, We have been saved. And then just a few verses later, he reiterates it. He's just wanting to bang home this point. For it's by grace, in verse 8, you have been saved through faith. And not even this from yourselves. The gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Because we're Christ's workmanship. Christ's workmanship. Created, God's workmanship, sorry, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has planned in advance for us. 
Aaron earlier brought a word. It's time to stop running. Time to stop running. For some of us, that's hitting home today. It's time to stop running away from the Father, but to run to him. Perhaps even today you're here and you're, you're thinking, this is all new to me. This is a new language. <laughs> Please just hear this. There is a God in heaven who has created the heavens and the earth and has created you and he's made you for relationship with him. And he wants to have that relationship with you. But because of our innate nature, which is to rebel against him and to not acknowledge him, which leads us to what's called sin, we've got alienated from him. But the gift of God in Christ, and it is a gift of grace, it's something you can't earn, it's something you can't win. The gift of God in Christ is this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for our sin. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Saviour and Lord, if you don't have a relationship with Father God in heaven, you can come into that relationship today. But our Father is looking for us to have a real grace-filled relationship. And for some of us, we will have those splinters, splinters of fear or splinters of other things in our hearts where we go so far but we aren't going the whole way. And today the Father is wanting to carry out some surgery. Getting splinters out is always hard work. It can be a bit messy. I'm terrible. I'm always getting splinters in my hand because I prune the roses without gloves on and we've got very, very fine thorns and they always end up in your hands and then so days later, you notice that something's going a bit funny and you start some excavation works and try and find the bit. And I tend to be a bit ruthless how I get a splinter out. It just involves sort of a pair of scissors and cut and snip and pull. And uh, sorry, we won't go any further on that one. <laughs> the father's much better at it. But the father does want to get the splinters out because if they're left in, they go septic and they can poison and they can damage and they can distract. And our Father today is wanting to do surgery on our hearts. That we surrender and say, all of me, all of me I surrender. Every bit of me I surrender. Overwhelm me with your grace. That I would live out of the grace of God who I am. And that will affect how I live. Friends, you'll never get hold of vision if it's just a piece of paper. It needs to be put deep in our hearts. And the way that happens is as we engage with the grace of God. I'd like to invite us all, if you're able to, to stand at this point. Fiona brought a word to us about the wise and foolish builders. How we can be worried about the storm. But actually, it's the ground. God is wanting to strengthen the foundations of our life, of our lives. He's wanting to make sure we've got the ground well and truly established. The solid rock of Jesus, of salvation by grace and grace alone, of Jesus. Let's just... Spend a moment to reflect. Say, Father, is there something you're wanting to speak to me about in my life?
And if there is, then why not take the opportunity to commit yourself back to him? Where necessary to repent. If things have gone wrong, then to repent. Because you have a loving father who loves to draw you back into his presence. Maybe you've got distracted and lost a sense of the grace of God. It's all come about what I've got to do, not who I am. Let's just take a few moments to pause, to reflect. Father, we commit ourselves to you. Work on our hearts, we ask, Lord Jesus. Capture us up in all that you've called us to be and also to do. But let your grace overwhelm us. Let your grace shape us. Let your grace define us afresh. Help us to surrender ourselves to you. I'm going to lead us into a song and uh, please only join me if you really mean these words. The first line goes, I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to these I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus. I surrender, I surrender all. Father, we ask, please take that song, take those words as a declaration of our hearts. Please come and flood us with the grace of God. Let your grace shape us. Let your grace define us. Let your grace take us on to that guiding star, that vision, compelling vision deep in our hearts for you, for the advance of your kingdom until the day we see your kingdom come here on earth in its fullness as Jesus comes back. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.
Friends, if uh, we, we need to bring this to a conclusion, if you would uh, like someone to stand with you and pray with you over something, perhaps it stirred something in you, you feel you need to do business with God, please use this space at the front. The prayer team will be available to help you. If you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but you're actually wanting to find out more, please come and talk with me today. We would love to talk with you and have the privilege of introducing you to Jesus. Otherwise, refreshments are going to be served out in the cafe. Please don't forget to go and collect your children from the kids' work and thank them for all that they do for you in looking after your children and our times together. And look forward to seeing you on Friday. Thank you.